Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the U.S. representative for most of Jackson and Hines County calls a number of bills in the legislature a step backwards. Then, how Amish, Mennonite, and other faith groups are working together to restore South Louisiana long after most other aid left. Plus, the week's history is lunch, looks at the pivotal year 1964. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A U.S. representative from Mississippi is voicing his opposition to bills that would strip officials in the capital city of some of their autonomy. Congressman Benny Thompson of Bolton was back home in his district yesterday, where he used time to comment on legislation centered around the city of Jackson. Bills that will put the water system in the hands of the state. The legislation creates a court system of unelected judges and prosecutors, and all those bills are still active in the legislature. Thompson, a Democrat who represents most of Jackson and Hines County, opposes the legislation. He tells our Lacey Alexander taking self-governance away from Jackson's elected officials is a step backwards. Obviously, it's mean-spirited. Some of them are unconstitutional. And the rest is just patently wrong. If you want to help any community, any county, any city, the first thing you do is go talk to them. Uh, You don't say, oh, I'm coming to Jackson because I got this idea and I'm going to get a bill and we're going to take your water system or we're going to create a new police force or we're going to create new judges. You need to talk to the elected officials in those communities and then you say well we have the largest sheriff's department in the state Uh, we have the largest police department are there some resources that we could give you that could make your department better well unfortunately our legislators in their infinite wisdom didn't do it that way I know of no other community in this state where a legislature would file and approve bills when they haven't talked to the local officials about what they think of the bill. But unfortunately, Jim Crow and a lot of other bad actors appear every now and then. I now have friends calling uh, me saying, I thought things had changed. You know, you change your flag. You know, you're, you're, you're doing better with your school systems. 
But when I read what's happening to Jackson, it looks like you're going in the opposite direction. And I can't really tell them we are not because I agree. It's the wrong direction. Jackson's had these issues for years, water issues for years. Um, why is the state legislature and other representatives from other parts of the state just now wanting to step in? Well, I can't understand it. And, and the good people of Jackson and Hines County elected the people. Whether you agree or disagree with them, uh, they are there. And so if you really want to help, call them up, knock, them on, knock on their doors, and say, look, I'm from DeSoto County, and I want to help solve your problems. But you don't talk. You just come into Jackson, file a bill, and that's not how a constitutional democracy works. Uh, sure, you have the numbers. You can roll over all you want to, but that's not how you unify communities. You don't single Jackson out because you don't like who's in charge. The people in Jackson pick the leadership. And at some point, if they disagree with the leadership, they will change it. But for this current turn, the leadership, just like they will be picking legislators in the not-too-distant future, the greatness of this country is we elect our leaders. We don't appoint them. We don't anoint them. Uh, we elect them. And that's how we got to be number one uh, in the world. And in order to stay number one, we have to continue that process. And real quick, is there any movement on the recommendations that the January 6th committee made before it closed? Uh, I think what you see happening with the special uh, uh, counsel as it relates uh, to the subpoenas that are being issued to the vice president and a number of other individuals is a direct uh, result of the work of our January 6th committee. And real quick, any concerns over those balloons we've been shooting here lately? Well, uh, yes, in the sense that uh, we need to figure out all of the things that are happening. Uh, uh, the first balloon until up until the last balloon, uh, we need to see if there's any connection. If there is, we need to find that. And if they're not, we need to single out what it is and then try to fashion a solution to whatever the problem is. Uh, we've not, and as I understand, we haven't gotten there yet. So I anxiously await an opportunity to be briefed on what that strategy might be. Democrat Benny Thompson represents Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District. Coming up, how Amish, Mennonite, and other faith groups are working together to restore South Louisiana long after most other aid left. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. When you hear the word Amish, you probably picture a lot of things, but not the Louisiana Bayou. But right now, Amish volunteers are in Louisiana rebuilding homes destroyed by hurricanes long after most other aid left. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports the trips have led to cross-country relationships over hardship, food, and faith. Give them space. That was Ruth Crosby's first instinct when Amish volunteers came to help rebuild her home in the Louisiana Bayou last May. Now, Amish culture has a reputation for being reclusive and anti-tech, so Crosby didn't know if the men and women wanted to avoid photos or just have the Crosbys stay clear of the work. Then she noticed... They'd come and they'd sit underneath the tree with sandwiches, you know, and it's like, baby, I could cook them a meal. And I asked the girls, you know, and I said, if I cook, would y'all eat? And she's like, oh, yes, you know. She said, we'd love to try different things. Crosby lives in Golden Meadow, a small town surrounded by marshland on a highway leading to a big oil port. In August 2021, Hurricane Ida made landfall not far from here with sustaining winds of 150 miles per hour. Those winds tore most of the roof off the Crosby's home before rain eroded the inside. Not just the floors and walls, but irreplaceable things. Our wedding picture. We got married in 84. My wedding picture was all wet and just bleeding. That's something you can't get back. She was able to buy lumber to rebuild. The problem was finding the help. I had one contractor come out and quoted me a price of $106,000 to redo my house. I said, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I, didn't ha- I don't have the funds to do it. We live off of Social Security. Then she ran into the town's Baptist pastor. He told her he's partnering with an Amish volunteer group out of Pennsylvania called CARE. They rebuild homes after natural disasters, including in Alabama and Mississippi in the past, and they'd be hoping in Golden Meadow for the next three years. After volunteers assessed the Crosby's property, they spent eight days working on the house for free. Ruth's husband, Keith Crosby, was impressed watching women wearing long traditional Amish dresses bolt in brackets. With a big old gun, bigger than them. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I said, there's a lot of doing that, you know. Volunteers with CARE didn't want to be interviewed on the radio, so I called up a different Amish volunteer group working in Louisiana. Hello, yes, Gid. Gid Yoder is with Disaster Aid Ohio. They're helping rebuild Lake Charles, Louisiana, which was hit by a Category 4 hurricane more than two years ago. I caught Yoder in Ohio on his flip phone. Amish culture has a reputation as being anti-technology, but they're more tech skeptics. Yoder even has a computer. And I use it for emails. And my computer's locked down, so we don't have people tempted to go and all the, the stuff that you're not supposed to, like that there's temptations there. Members of the Amish faith usually live together in rural communities, often in northern states. Another reason it's not so common seeing them here in the bayou. But while Amish is a Christian denomination, the volunteering isn't about converting people. Still, faith is an important reason for their volunteering. You can read in the Bible... If you see somebody that's cold, you tell them, be warm, but you don't do anything about it, you don't give them a coat, then you're not helping. The Bible teaches us if the Lord helps you, you need to help other people. Another thing that makes what the volunteers are doing here unique is that this is long-term aid. They're going into their second year at Lake Charles. 
It's also a partnership between three different Christian groups, Amish, Mennonites, and Methodists. Yoder says it's amazing how churches can work together after a disaster. I always tell them uh, when the end of times are and we're up in heaven, we won't have one part for Amish or one part for Mennonite or, or Catholic. We'll all be together up there, so why not help each other down here? In Golden Meadow, Ruth Crosby and the volunteers bonded over their faith and over Ruth's cooking. I cooked them some shrimp. I cooked them some fish. We did a jambalaya. How did they like it? They loved it. The volunteers got up the roof and subflooring for the house before they left last May. But Ruth and Keith are still living in a FEMA trailer. There's still a lot of work left before the house is livable, like doing the ceiling and closing up the walls. Now that CARE is back in Golden Meadow, the group did offer to work on Ruth's house again. But she thinks there are so many other people here who still need the help more than she does. At least she has a roof again and a grant to hopefully cover the rest. Wandering through the home now, you could see the scriptures Ruth wrote on the wood panels and how the Amish volunteers added their own along with a personal message. It says, Keith and Ruth and family, it has been a wonderful privilege to meet y'all. I pray that this house will be a place of rest, refreshment, and joy for all who enter. May God bless you and your family every day. Love y'all, Rebecca. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, this week's History is Lunch looks at the pivotal year, 1964. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The same month Bob Dylan released The Times They Are A-Changing, January 1964, President Lyndon Johnson also announced his war on poverty. According to Robert McElvain, professor of history at Millsaps College, it was when the 60s truly arrived. McElvain is presenting research from his new book, The Times They Were A-Changin', at History is Lunch today at the two Mississippi museums. He tells us why this point in American history is so pivotal. Originally, I was going to do a book on the entire 60s, um, and I finally realized in order to talk about the, all, all the aspects, uh, politics, economics, culture, the war in Vietnam, it would take about 3,000 pages, so I decided to focus in on a shorter period. Uh, the reason that period is so important is that decades don't like uh, follow the calendar, and really the early 1960s are still like the 1950s. And so uh, it's my argument that uh, it's in 1964 that what we think of as, quote, the 60s arrived, and um, things began to change rapidly at that point. You mentioned times now in comparison to 1964. What is the connection? 
Well, the connection, there are all sorts of connections. Um, one is that I, I think kind of the ultimate question throughout American history uh, was captured <clears throat> a century or so before that. Uh, in 1868, the Democratic presidential uh, ticket at the time uh, had as their motto, this is a white man's country, let white men rule. And I think uh, that has been the question about America really since 1607 when English people arrived in a place already occupied by people with darker skins and then 12 years later in 1619 began bringing enslaved people in from Africa. And so the ideals of America that are so wonderful that are stated in 1776 of all men are created equal and the whole idea of government uh, based on democracy of the people is wonderful, but the question really has been throughout, can we have a diverse society where people accept that everyone is equal and everyone has a chance to do that? And it's in 1964 and into 1965 that a kind of decisive turn is taken in the direction of really fulfilling the ideals of 1776. And really what's been going on in recent years is an attempt to turn the clock back to before 1964, uh, to to make things the way they were then, in other words, to make it, once again, a white man's country. Can you give us some examples? Sure. Well, one of the interesting things that struck me that I don't think anybody had noticed before, within about two weeks uh, period in early 1964, Lyndon Johnson, the new president, only for a matter of weeks at that point, um, gave his State of the Union address in which he declared unconditional war on poverty. Well, about uh, 11 days later, Bob Dylan's uh, song, The Times They Are Changing, came out, and in it he was saying things like, uh, the first ones now will later be last, uh, the losers now will be later to win, and Johnson and Dillon were unconsciously kind of saying the same thing in very different ways. And when there's a coincidence like that, it seems to indicate something about the mood of the times, the zeitgeist. And so uh, during that period, with all the things that were passed under Johnson, uh, including the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, uh, the uh, Immigration Act a little later in 1965 that took away the preferences for uh, people from uh, Northern and Western Europe and uh, provided equal access in terms of immigration. Um, all the social programs that were created at the time, kind of completing the social contract that had been started in the New Deal, well, uh, that has, was accepted for a while after that. Uh, but there's been an, an effort going on really since the 1980s to kind of pull all that back. And that uh, became very strong uh, after Trump became president. And basically uh, almost all the issues today involve the changes that came in the long 1964, whether we can keep them, expand on them, or whether they'll be turned back. What do you want to get across to folks in this book? the times they were changing, 1964, the year the 60s arrived, and the battle lines of today were drawn? Basically, just how much of um, the lives of uh, 
uh, most people living today have been shaped by the numerous things that were going on. I mean, change was occurring in all sorts of ways, political change, social change, economic change, cultural change. 1964 is when the uh, British invasion and music occurred. And I point out in the book that that's usually seen as a single event, but it was actually a, a two-phase, a two-wave invasion. The Beatles and other groups coming in first were a much milder version the Rolling Stones coming in uh, uh, several weeks later were actually the ones bringing back American music, indeed music that came from Mississippi. Uh, they were lovers of the blues. And um, one of the things I try to point out in the book is that everybody is talking about freedom in 1964, but freedom means such different things to different people. To Goldwater and uh, the, the right wing of the Republican Party, Freedom means freedom for business from government control. But the two main types of freedom, as I see it, that are kind of struggling with each other are what might be called white freedom. That is, uh, black people on the outside trying to get on the inside, trying to uh, get the right to vote, get to uh, end segregation, to be accepted into uh, the mainstream of society. And what a lot of, a lot of young white people mistakenly imagined to be black freedom, uh, which came to be like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, they they uh, ironically thought that the people who were really least free had the freedom of not having to uh, be constrained by like middle-class mores. And so uh, the Rolling Stones and other uh, bands like that were bringing in this notion of uh, what was mistakenly seen as black freedom, and it got all sorts of uh, followers among the young. Do you think that we are disregarding history at this point and we need to look back so that maybe we can avoid some of the things that uh, we are dealing with today? Very definitely. and In fact, one of the other ways in which an attempt to turn around uh, back from the turn that occurred in 1964-65 is going on now. Uh, prior to 1964, American history was pretty much whitewashed. Uh, it it uh, was taught in schools as like nothing really bad ever happened. Okay, well, there was this thing called slavery, and that was bad, but then we had a civil war and ended it, and history books kind of acted as if black people didn't exist in the country after that. And uh, we never had any wars that were not all good and, and all that sort of thing. And it's in 1964 that that view begins to change pretty dramatically. One of the ways uh, coming out of the freedom schools in the Mississippi Freedom Summer in 1964, um, raising the idea of African-American history. And today, there's an effort underway in many states uh, run by Republican governors to just totally bury the truth about American history. And so what was moved in a positive direction in terms of seeing history as it really was in order to understand what we need to do to make things better now is a serious attempt to turn it back in the other direction. Professor Robert McElvain, Millsaps College, professor and author of The Times, they were a change in 1964, the year the 60s arrived, and the battle lines of today were drawn. We thank you so much. Thank you. Glad to be with you. History is Lunch is at the two Mississippi museums today at noon. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.